Hello, everyone, and welcome to Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. To give you a little synopsis about what I do here, basically, is I choose a topic that I need to know more about, or I feel like I somehow missed in school, or I just want to dive more deeply into. I research it for a week, and then I kind of present my findings to you so we can all learn together. So this week's episode is the history of Kansas. Now, last year, I was trying to release two episodes a week, one on like any random topic that came out on Mondays, and then every week would try to do a state history episode on Thursdays. It's hard to do two episodes a week, so this year I'm just sticking to one episode, but we haven't quite finished our state series. We're on the 34th installment, the 34th state, which is Kansas. So I'm just sprinkling the state episodes in this year during my one episode a week, and we will eventually finish this state series. It has been really fun to learn about all the states, though. I it It's really fascinating. You kind of just imagine them going from, like, you know, east to west, or I had this idea of how they all came to be, but some of the actual histories are so much different than I thought, so it's just been interesting to learn more about our American history. So I hope you enjoy the episode, and I hope you learn a lot about the history of Kansas. Enjoy. Okay, we, before we get into like the strict historical timeline, let's talk a little bit about the just basic facts about Kansas. So the capital of Kansas is Topeka, Kansas. It became a state on January 29th, 1861, so right before the Civil War broke out. And it is named Kansas because, you know, there's a lot of states that get their names from like Native American tribes. Kansas is no different. It got its name from the Native American cause or the Kansas people who were a Sioux tribe. So that Sioux tribe name, Kansa, derived its word from the Sioux word for south wind, and that's why the Kansa people are also referred to as the people of the south wind. Again, wherever I got these uh, facts, I have compiled and put the sources together. So if you want to read up more about that or other states uh, getting their names from kind of Native American tribes, you can go in the show notes, and I have put links to all those um, resources. The state motto of Kansas is ad astra per aspera, which means to the stars through difficulties. It represents the struggles that Kansas faced with issues such as slavery, Indian attacks, and the inevitable war. So yes, as we will come to find out when we go over the timeline, the Kansas state history does have a lot of conflict in it. And so their state motto really reflects how many difficulties they've had. The official nickname is the Sunflower State. Also, they can go by the Wheat State. The population is 2.92 million. It is 41st in population density, so really not dense at all. Um, Okay, let's talk a little bit about geography. So Kansas is bordered by Nebraska in the north, Missouri in the east, Oklahoma in the south, and Colorado in the west. It's known for its vast plains, but it says it is not all flatlands. Um, 
again, this is from Kids National Geographic. If you've listened to the other state episodes, I always get the best geography synopses from National Geographic Kids. So this is what they highlight as being not the flatlands. Gentle hills with pastures and forests can be found in the northeast. This area is called the Dissected Till Plains. The land here was cut or dissected into hills and valleys by moving glaciers and wind over 400,000 years ago. Then we have the southeastern plains to the south. They include the Osage or Osage Plains. The Osage Plains are composed of eroded shale and limestone. And then there's also the Flint Hills in these southeastern plains. The flint ridges stick up because flint doesn't erode or break down like the other rocks in soil do. So you can see the flint like sticking out of the other rock. The western half of Kansas is the Great Plains. Uh, they rise in elevation as you continue west towards the Rocky Mountain. Near the Colorado border is Mount Sunflower, which is the state's highest point. And I need to actually look at what the elevation is of... I'm going to do some real-time Googling here. One second. Okay, Mount Sunflower, the elevation is 4,039 feet. So it is a pretty flat state. Like, that's the highest point. To put that in context, if you're unaware, Colorado is known as the mile, or Denver is the mile-high city. So it's like 5280. Not a crazy difference. It's like 1,000 feet different, but our mountains get to like 14,000 feet. So you know, overall, Kansas is mostly some gentle hills and some plains. So if you if you want like a very vastly differing state geography, Kansas may may not be for you. But if you like it a little flatter, Kansas is good. Okay, climate. So Kansas gets 33 inches of rain. The national average is 38 inches. They get 15 inches of snow. The national average is 28, so less than average snow, which I'm always a fan of. There are 230 sunny days. The average across America is 205 sunny days. It gets to 91 degrees in July and 19 degrees in January as the low. The comfort index overall is 7.3, which means it's slightly more comfortable than most states or than the average state in the U.S. They average it at 7.0. September, May, and June are the most pleasant months and January and December are the worst. This is pretty standard over many of the states, the most comfortable and least comfortable months of the year. Um, but overall, I feel like this is very similar to Colorado with less snow. So I might actually really enjoy this. So, um, okay. Let's get into the chronological, like historical timeline of Kansas. I'm going to try to, basically the timeline that I found is extremely detailed at some point. So I'm going to try to really narrow it down to the biggest uh, high points that I can. So I don't want to la have this last for like two hours. I got this from legends of, legendsofkansas.com. Kansas timeline and man, they're thorough. So I'm going to kind of weed through this as I go and only give you the highlights. Okay. I take it back. We're, we're not going to do that original Kansas timeline. I was looking at it again and just, you know, kind of looking over which highlights I was going to pull out and talk about. And it's just way too detailed, you know, so I am going to link that timeline below. So if you are interested in any of the more nitty gritty details of the Kansas history timeline, you can have all that information and I will link it below. I'm going to switch to the e-reference desk timeline, which 
is always kind of a staple for me. Sometimes they have too much detail, sometimes a little bit less, but the Kansas timeline looks pretty good. So we're going to switch over to that. I will link both below so you have all the info your heart can desire. Um, okay, so this timeline starts in 1541 with the Spanish explorer Francisco Vasquez de Coronado marching north from Mexico in search of the seven golden cities of Cibola. Cibola, I believe it's pronounced. Um, and then in 1542, there was who was considered to be the first Christian martyr. His name was Father Juan de Padilla. He was a priest who had accompanied Coronado. He returned to Kansas a year after they originally went, and he hoped to bring Christianity to the Indians, but he was killed by them instead. And so, yes, he is considered to be the first Christian martyr in America. 17th century was basically just highlighting the Native Americans that came into the region or that were kind of... Uh, setting up their like irrigation. So throughout the 1600s, uh, Kansas and Osage Indians arrive in Kansas. And then in 1650, the Taos Indians irrigate the lands along Beaver Creek. So mostly focused on the Native Americans during the entire, you know, 1600s. The European history really starts up again in the 1700s. So 1724, there was a French ex French explorer and trader named Etienne Veniard de Bourgemont. And he led an expedition into, you know, current day Kansas in order to establish trade relations with the Indians of the Platte River region. So those three groups that we just talked about, the Taos, Kansas, and Osage Native Americans, he was trying to establish trade relations with them along the Platte River. In 1739, Pierre and Paul Mallet or Malay, lead a party of French traders through Kansas. 1744, the French build Fort Cavignol near presence near the present site of Fort Leavenworth. That fort was then closed in 1764, but it was open and active for about 20 years. 1762 is when France lost the territory of Kansas to Spain. So now it's Spain's territory. And then throughout the 1790s, fur trading, the fur trading Chouteau family begins trading with the Kansas Indians. So the 1700s were not like super busy with, you know, in terms of big historical time markers. Like it kind of is every 10 to 20 years, but essentially, you know, the Europeans are coming into Kansas. They're starting to build things there. They're starting to establish trade with the Native Americans. So that was the big highlights of the 18th century. 1803, big date for the U.S. and for all these Western territories that we've talked about. Uh, the United States bought, uh, or they signed a deal when they agreed to purchase the entire Louisiana Territory from France on April 30th, 1803. This transaction ended the trading era for Kansas and brought forth the exploration of a new American settlement. So, a year after that, the Lewis and Clark expedition was kicked off. That went from 1804 to 1806. So here are the highlights from that. June and July of 1804, Lewis and Clark were exploring the Louisiana Purchase by the, you know, because Thomas Jefferson basically made an order to have them go explore. They made a camp at several points in the Leavenworth area on the Kansas side of the Missouri River. So they did visit Kansas during this exploration. 
On July 4th, 1804, at the present location of Atchison, the Lewis and Clark group celebrated what was probably the first Independence Day in Kansas by firing a swivel gun. Later, they named Independence Creek and closed the day with another cannon blast. I feel like these explorations, like sometimes it seems awful, like the Lewis and Clark exploration, you could not pay me to do. But then, you know, they describe days like this where they're firing a cannon and naming a river Independence Creek, and it all sounds very fun. (laughs) Um, So, okay, 1806, on September 26th through 29th, it says, when the Stars and Stripes American, well, when the Stars and Stripes of the American flag uh, were first raised in Kansas by a Pawnee Indian chief. So that sentence made no sense, but let me just rephrase that. On September 26th and 29th of 1806, the American flag was first raised by a Pawnee Indian chief. I don't know why some of these sentences are so poorly put together, I guess. Um, But then uh, Lieutenant Zebulon Pike of the U.S. Army crossed the Kansas area on an exploring expedition, during which he met with the Indians and signed treaties with them as the representative of the new White Father. He continued westward on his journey to discover the mountain that is now called Pike's Peak. So... On his way to the Pikes Peak exploration, he started signing all these treaties and tried to have good relations with the natives that were there. Okay, more kind of cooperation with the Native Americans. In 1811, George C. Sibley, who was a government trader, worked among the Osage or Osage Indians. 1819, Stephen H. Long's party explores portions of Kansas, and then the Western Engineer was the first steamer to enter the Kansas River. So, again, we're kind of ramping up in, like, exploration, trading, working with the natives. Like, it's all sort of still ramping up in the 1800s, which is very different from what we've seen, obviously, with the eastern states, where the history starts right as people are coming over from England to settle, you know, these more western states. It takes a little while. Like, they were made territories, but not a ton of exploration was happening. And then it slowly started building up and the trade started being established and stuff like that. <clears throat> um, okay, 1821, William Becknell, who was a Missouri trader, was the first to follow the route that later became known as the Santa Fe Trail. So um, that was starting to be established. In 1822, he used wagons instead of pack mules or horses to take trade goods over the Santa Fe Trail. Because Becknell found a good mode of transportation and a passable wagon route, he is credited as the father of the Santa Fe Trail. So he was the first to follow the route, but then also everyone was taking horses and pack mules. And he found a route that actually worked with wagons so he could pack a lot more goods into these wagons. And that is really what exploded the Santa Fe Trail. 1825 in June, the necessary treaties were negotiated between the federal government and the Kansas and Osage tribes for a session of Kansas-Osage land onto onto which the Eastern Indians could be moved. Okay, on May 8th, 1827, Fort Leavenworth was established by Colonel Henry Leavenworth. It was established on the Missouri River's right bank of the Salt Creek as an army post to protect the western frontier and the travelers coming through on the Santa Fe Trail. 1829, uh, the Oregon-California Trail Route became established. So there was a, a group a pack train called Sublet's Pack Train. They were on Route West and 
they were coming from Independence, Missouri. So they traveled out on the Santa Fe Trail for some time before they turned northwest toward the Kansas River. And that is what became the Oregon, California Trail Route. Uh, this says, also in 1829, that the largest and historically most important of all the Kansas missions was the Shawnee Methodist. Um, it was opened as a school by Reverend Thomas Johnson and his wife in 1829, and that is on the site of present-day Turner, which is basically part of greater Kansas City. So that also occurred in 1829. 1830 was the Indian Removal Bill that happened in May of that year. Um, it uprooted the Kickapoo, Shawnee, Delaware, Potawatomi, Wyandotte, Ottawa, Chippewa, Iowa, Miami, and Sac and Fox tribes. It said it's, quote, an act to provide for an exchange of lands with the Indians residing within any of the states or territories and for their removal west over the river Mississippi. This was passed by Congress and signed by Andrew Jackson, who was president at the time. Um, then William L. Sublet took the first wagons along the Oregon Trail to the Rocky Mountains in 1830. Okay, 1831, Isaac McCoy was instrumental in founding the Shawnee Baptist Mission. It was opened by Johnston Likens in July. Uh, 1833, Jotham Meeker came to the Shawnee Baptist Mission, and he brought with him the first printing press to be set up on Kansas soil. 1834, a fur trade post called Bent's Fort or Fort William was established. It said, uh, let's see, well, there's a lot kind of more detail, but I guess the highlight of that is that there is a new fur trade post established. Uh, 1835, the Kanza or Ka or were a small tribe. There were only 1,600 of them uh, that would be counted when a census was made in 1835. 1841, the first emigrant wagon train uh, left for the Pacific. 1842, Fort Scott, named in honor of General Winfield Scott, was established on May 30th, 1842. And John C. Fremont, the same year in 1842, was called the Pathfinder. He traveled through northeastern Kansas. So it's a lot of like forts being established, we find a new trail. Fort being established, we find a new trail. So that's kind of the gist throughout the early 1800s. 1843, uh, the first settlement occurred at present site of Kansas City, Kansas. The first free school was established by the Wyandotte Indians in 1844, which is very interesting. I would not think that the first free school was established by a tribe because I thought that they all were supposed to be left, but I guess they went over the Mississippi. Anyway, so yes, there was a first free school established by the Wyandotte, Wyandotte Indians. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Okay, 1846. Let's see. The Kansas Indians signed a treaty with the government ceding their reservation land along the Kansas River near Topeka of 2 million acres in exchange for a new but smaller reservation located along the upper valley of the Neosho River in what is now Morris County, Kansas. 1847, a reservation 20 miles square was established in April of 1847 in what is now Morris County near Council Grove. The Kaw Indians were relocated from the reservation near Topeka and moved onto the land 
embraced within the limits of the reservation. They remained on the Kaw Reservation until about 30, 25 to 30 years later, uh, until 1873. Um, 1850, Fort Atkinson was established. 1852, flour milling got its start in Kansas by Matitten's Split Log in Kansas City. Fort Riley was established in 1853. Um, and then in the summer of 1853, George W. Manypenny, U.S. Commissioner of Indian Affairs, under a directive from Congress, came into the valleys of the Kaw and Neosho to negotiate treaties with Indians to to recede from the U.S. government all but a fraction of the land that a quarter of the century before had been assigned to them, quote, forever. Many Penny was reluctant to do so. So, again, I think I read that, like, in a weird cadence, so it might be hard to understand, but basically they had just been promised this land, quote, forever by the U.S. government, and then this commissioner of Indian Affairs was told that he had to go in and start negotiating to have them cede all but a fraction of it. Yeah, it's definitely messed up that they were promised this land forever. And then this guy who didn't even want to go negotiate this, like he wasn't for it, it doesn't sound like, had to go negotiate them to cede like all that land again. So yeah, definitely not good treatment there. Um, 1854, there is like a ton of things it says that happened in 1854. I think a lot of them aren't, aren't really that important. So let me just get the highlights. On May 30th, the Kansas-Nebraska Act passed Congress. So the territories of Kansas and Nebraska were both established. The Kansas-Nebraska Act was responsible for causing the label, quote, bleeding Kansas. The incorporation of popular sovereignty made the territory's residents responsible for the question of slavery in their own backyard. This is different. So it's not the federal government that was responsible for the question of slavery. It was the residents of Kansas. It says the proximity of Kansas to slave-owning Missouri and the lack of any natural border between the two regions prompted an influx of pro-slavery individuals into the territory. Uh, there was a an election to, called to delegate to Congress. Topeka was founded by five anti-slavery activists, and there were the first Swiss immigrants that arrived all in that year. So those are the highlights of that year. 1855, the Valley Falls Mill was built. Um, a free state constitution was framed in Topeka. It did not receive serious consideration in the Congress. And then in July, the first territorial capital of Kansas was built of native stone at Pawnee on the Fort Riley Reservation. Okay, 1856, a big cholera outbreak happened at Fort Riley. And then John Brown and 40 defenders were attacked by an army of 400 to 600 pro-slavery Missourians. So there was a raid. Um, the, the settlement was burned down and the... It was burned down by the invaders and John Brown's son, Frederick, was killed. Four wagon loads of dead and wounded were brought into Boonville, Missouri when in the invading army returned. So, so now not only do you have the conflict with the natives and the new settlers, you now have pro-slavery and anti-slavery issues, which again is why the state motto is like references the difficulties of the state. Uh, 1857, there's a pro-slavery constitution. It says if Kansas is admitted uh, as a slave state, 
uh, or sorry, they drafted a pro-slavery constitution. If Kansas was to be admitted, they were going to be a slave state. The constitution was adopted in an election in which free state men refused to vote and later was rejected at a second election in which the pro-slavery men took no part. The third constitutional convention was convened in Leavenworth and the constitution drafted there was adopted by the people in 1858. This also accept, or failed its final acceptance. So they're just having a very hard time trying to figure out if this is gonna be a slave or free state. 1858, uh, there is a famous confrontation between pro-slavery and abolition forces. The pro-slavery forces were called the Border Ruffians, and the abolition forces were called just the Free State Forces. There were five victims in this massacre. It was, it's immortalized, you know, they are immortalized as martyrs in the cause of freedom. And this massacre, it says, was the last significant display of mob rule in Kansas. The site of this was the Marais de Seignes River. I, my French pronunciation is terrible now, but that was the site of this kind of mob. 1859, the Republican Party was formally organized in Kansas. The fourth and last constitutional convention was assembled. Um, this time, free state advocates were solidly in control. And so it barred slavery and fixed the present boundaries of the state. Okay, in 1859 and 1860, plans were completed for the 2,000-mile Pony Express between St. Joseph, Missouri and Sacramento, California, and then operations began on that uh, in 1860. It operated only for a less than a year and a half. It was from 1860 to 1862. Uh, let's see, February 23rd of that same year, 1860, the legislature passed a bill over the governor's veto abolishing slavery in Kansas. And then Kansas was admitted into the union as the 34th state. Topeka was the state capital right from the beginning. Um, the Civil War started then in 1861. It says in answer to President Lincoln's first call for troops in April, Kansas supplied 650 men. Before the war ended in 1865, Kansas contributed 20,000 men to the Union Army, a remarkable record since the population included less than 30,000 men of military age. So like over two-thirds or two-thirds, I guess almost exactly, of the military-aged men in Kansas went to fight. They suffered the highest mortality rate of any of the Union states. It says of the black troops in the Union Army, 2,000 were credited to Kansas. Um, Kansas women were also given the right to vote in school elections in 1861, which is far earlier than most states. The Homestead Act was passed on May 20th, 1862. It says the Homestead Act greatly aided in the opening of the country after the Civil War. I think I've done a full episode on the Homestead Act. Now I'm getting it confused if I just talked about that in a video, like the history of homesteading, or if I did it in a podcast. Either way, the Homestead Act, I think I've been over before, but that was 1862. Uh, let's see. So the war went until 1865. I'm not going to go into all of the details of the Civil War stuff. Um, so 1866 was the construction of the first Kansas capital in Topeka. The first orphanage was uh, opened. Rome, Kansas was founded in 1867. 
see. Okay, a great famine in Sweden combined with the discontent bred by repressive government made the American advertisement of land and freedom particularly attractive to the Swedes. So basically a lot of Swedish settlers came and settled in Kansas. 1867, the first recorded Indian attack at Henshaw Station occurred when the Indians killed four men and stampeded the horses. At the time, the station was guarded only by 10 soldiers and two stock traders. Another Indian raid occurred at a settlement called Brookville in 1867, and then the Indian Peace Treaty Monument of Medicine Lodge commemorated the signing of the peace treaty between the U.S. and Indian tribes. That was all, again, in 1867. Uh, let's see. 1869, the Sioux and Cheyenne raid... Uh, the Sioux and Cheyenne tribes raid northwestern Kansas. So, again, the conflict is really ongoing <clears throat> in this state. You have the Civil War slavery, but then this continued... Native American and settler conflict, which really just keeps going. Uh, 1870s, the Bender family lived on the road south from Independence in Montgomery County, halfway between the, quote, Little House on the Prairie and Independence, near where the landmark was known as Bender Mounds. People disappeared on that road and they were never heard of again. Occasionally, the Benders invited travelers to stay for dinner. These itinerants were then murdered and robbed of their valuables so yeah there was this like scary family that lived on this road and people would just disappear and get murdered on it which is dark um 1870 to 1871 after the civil war many families came from clermont county ohio and settled on the high prairie in what is known as ohio township in the northwest part of morris county italian immigrants came um, coal mines were opened in 1871, so just a lot of kind of travel and immigration following the Civil War. The Home on the Range song words were written in 1872. Uh, 1873, the Caw Indians were removed from the reservation in Morris County to Oklahoma Territory, which opened the land for white settlement. 1874, there was a grasshopper plague, which, you know, the grasshopper invasion devastated crops, which is mostly corn in Kansas, and people lost, like, pretty much everything. There was a very, very hard winter that aid had to be sent in for. Um, but then also the Kansas railroads, there were four Kansas railroads at the time, they shipped over 122,000 cattle from Texas in eight months. So... The trading and the shipping is all is all improving, but there was this huge grasshopper plague, which was not good. Um, 1874 to 1875, the Mennonites from Russia introduced turkey red wheat to Kansas, which was big for their agriculture. Uh, most of the buffalo in Kansas were destroyed by 1875. State legislature abolishes color distinction from Kansas law in 1876. So Kansas was pretty uh, progressive with the race relations um, in their state. Let's see if there's anything here. Uh, September 27th of 1878, 
Chiefs Dole Knife and Little Wolf of the Northern Cheyenne led their people in a rebellion and fight from confinement and starvation on the reservation in Oklahoma to their homelands in Yellowstone. The trek climaxed on September 27, 1878, when 284 braves, women, and children made their final stand on the bluffs of Ladder Creek, which is now called Beaver Creek. This encounter with the U.S. Cavalry was the last Indian battle in Kansas. The site, which is called Squaw's Den Battleground, drew its name from the pit in which the women and children were placed after helping to dig rifle pits for the warriors. So that's extremely sad. And then the last Indian raid in Decatur County, Kansas, was also in 1878. Um, okay. Uh, the prominent issue of the Kansas legislature was prohibition by 1878. So nationwide prohibition didn't happen until the 1900s, like 1920s. But Kansas was way ahead of the time. They were talking about prohibition like 18. 79. An amendment of the Kansas Constitution approved by Kansas voters prohibited the manufacture, sale, or gift of all forms of intoxicating liquor. Kansas was the first state to pass this amendment. So, again, they were on the cutting edge there. Um, let's see. There was a ton of great cattle drives that were happening. The last one of those cattle drives was to Dodge City in 1885. The first woman mayor in the U.S. was elected in southeastern Kansas. There's just a lot of these like tiny little events in this timeline, so I'm trying not to just bore you to tears with all of these. It's like, oh, this became a mining town. This, you know, whatever. There's oil and gas fields. So anyway, by 1894, many companies organized to develop oil and gas fields in Kansas. And then there were four regiments for service in this Spanish-American War that were enlisted in 1898. Okay, by 1900, the last, the last ethnic group to enter Kansas in large numbers was Spanish-speaking Mexicans, which brought were brought to the state as laborers for railroad companies. Um, the suffrage, the Kansas Equal Suffrage Association was, was founded and started being run in the early 1900s. Helium was discovered in Dexter, Kansas in 1903, which I, now helium is like such a thing, like helium balloons are just so common, you don't even think about when helium was like discovered, but that happened in Kansas. The Kansas Capitol building was completed also in 1903. Um, the Kansas Women's Suffrage Amendment was ratified in 1912. Oil was discovered in 1915 um, in Kansas, and the National Guard was then sent to the Mexican border in 1916. So I'm trying to go kind of like quickly through this because, again, this is a pretty detailed timeline. Uh, there was the influenza epidemic in 1917. There was also the Anti-Saloon League, which was the name of the group established uh, that proved integral in preventing the sale of intoxicating liquor. So this was basically like a oversight uh, league that made sure everyone was following the prohibition law. World War I happened, which was caused actually a big boom in agriculture um, for Kansas, and Kansas agriculture was really booming because uh, there was a demand for food from the warring nations of Europe. The end of World War I 
uh, occurred in 1918. There were 80,000 people who served in the war from Kansas. Okay, Amelia Earhart made her first solo flight in 1921. The It says in 1924, the handkerchief dress craze hit Kansas. At Atchison, over 250 dozen red and blue bandanas were sold to women who made dresses out of them. This is funny that this is on the timeline because it's just like a fun dress trend, but that is really funny. I hadn't heard of this before, and yeah, I guess red and blue bandanas were very very popular for women to make dresses out of them so who knew that was a trend maybe that one will come back <laughs> um the forestry fishing game commission was organized in 1925 uh oh um white castle was established or founded also let's see also in 1925 so if you've had a white castle they're pretty good and that was established way back in the day in 1925 in kansas the cigarette tax was imposed in 1927. Let's see. There was a record wheat crop in 1931. Um, I think this is like getting pretty... Well, okay. World War II creates a demand for food and prices in Kansas farm products begin to rise. Again, the wartime boom created an agriculture boom in Kansas that started in 1939. Uh, there were, at this point, over 30,000 producing oil wells in Kansas by 1950. There was like a disastrous flood the next year that really devastated a lot of Kansas. Dwight D. Eisenhower became the first Kansan to be elected to, as the president, and that was from 1952 to 1953. 1954, the Brown versus Board of Education in Topeka was a historical and controversial case taken to the Supreme Court. That was to desegregate. Um, wheat crop. A lot of these are like about wheat crops and stuff. So uh, Eisenhower died in 1969. There were anti-war protests disturbing several college campuses in Kansas. I think that's pretty much all I'm going to go over here. A lot of it is either national news or like world news, like the Berlin Wall came down or whatever, or tornadoes and natural disasters sort of things. So I think that is like really the important things that are Kansas related for the history. So um, let's get into some of the other categories now that we have like the big timeline. But again, like the summary of the timeline is there was a lot of conflict in Kansas. There was a lot of troubles with the Kansas history. However, they were pretty much on the forefront of a lot of the progressive movements like prohibition and slavery and and all of that sort of thing like they abolished slavery first and they let women vote early and stuff like that so i don't know there's some good things about the kansas history but a lot of conflict okay now that we've been over the state history let's go over some of the state symbols now this is a fascinating part of every state podcast for me just because they vary so much like some state symbols are designated by little kids a lot of the times like third grade classes are a big a big thing some states have designated like 30 plus state symbols some only have a few and so it's interesting to see kind of the personality shine of each state 
through their symbols. Now, Kansas is pretty, I feel like, middle of the road where they don't have a lot of these very niche groups. They have the staples, and, uh, and so we'll go over those. But very interesting that it varies so much from state to state. Um, okay, so the official state bird of Kansas is the Western Meadowlark, and we I just became aware, really, of the Western Meadowlark, like, this week, which is interesting that I'm releasing this episode this week, because I just saw these at our bird feeder. I hadn't seen them all summer, and I just saw them and researched them and, and looked them up and stuff. I guess they're here all year round, and they are very prevalent in Kansas. Um, it was designated as the official state bird in Kansas uh, or sorry, of Kansas in 1937. They're really pretty birds. They're kind of like gray and white and brown speckled on their top and back, but their chest is yellow and black and they have kind of a longer beak. So I was excited to see this at my bird feeder, un not knowing that I would be reporting on the Kansas state bird just a, a few days later. So um, I feel kind of a personal connection to this bird now that I've <laughs> I've seen it. I saw this meme about how bird watching sneaks up on you and your age, like, and it's so true. I had never looked at at birds. I hadn't bird watched. That wasn't like a big thing for me. And now that I moved into a house and I'm getting a little bit older, I'm you know breaking out this bird watching book and getting really into it. So I don't know. Maybe it just means I'm. I'm getting older here. <laughs> um, okay, official state flower of Kansas is the wild native sunflower. It designated this flower, sunflower as the official state flower and floral emblem in 1903. So this is a pretty OG one. Um, it says the Native Americans were using native sunflowers for food over 3,000 years ago. So um, let's see, excerpt from Kansas legislation. Okay. Kansas has a native wildflower common throughout her borders, hardy and conspicuous of definite, unvarying and striking shape, easily sketched, molded and carved. Um, so this is kind of going over all the reasons like they wanted the sunflower, the wild sunflower to be their state flower, basically because it's striking, it's native to Kansas. Um, anyone can draw it. I haven't heard that as a justification for the state wild uh, flower for any other flower, but I guess that was important to them that anyone can draw it. They said any, even a child can draw it on a slate, a woman can work it in silk, a man can carve it in stone or fashion it in clay. So those were the, the justifications there. It says the flower has, this flower has to all Kansans a historic symbolism which speaks of frontier days, winding trails, pathless prairies, and is full of life and glory of the past, the pride of the present, and richly emblematic of the majesty of a golden future, and is a flower which has given Kansas the worldwide name, the Sunflower State. So that is from when they enacted it in the legislation. The state insect is the honeybee. It was designated as the honeybee in 1976 in response to a petition signed by over 2,000 Kansas school children. Um, so again, a big school school children thing, like the legislature really likes to listen to the school kids about what they should designate. Um, from This is a quote from the Kansas House Bill 2236, which is what passed and designated the honeybee. The honeybee is like all Kansans in that it is proud, only fights in defense of something it cherishes, is friendly bundle of energy, is always helping others throughout its lifetime, is a strong hard worker with limitless abilities, and is a mirror of virtue, triumph, and glory. The honeybee, by making its honey, gives not only 
to Kansans, but also to all the world's peoples, a gift which is sweet and wholesome, something which all Kansans strive to emulate in other ways. So, very wholesome reason that these school children found for designating it to the honeybee. The Kansas State grass is a little blue stem grass. It was designated in 2010, which is very recent. Um, the blue stem grass is a forage species grazed by livestock, deer, and elk, and also suitable for hay. So, you know, kind of goes along with the agriculture and farming of Kansas. Um, let's see. The next one is the Kansas State tree, which is the cottonwood tree, designated this in 1937. I think these are just native to Kansas, which is the, the main reason they didn't put an excerpt or anything. So I think this is just a very common tree in Kansas. The Kansas State song is Home on the Range, which was also, it also made appearance in the timeline when these lyrics were written. So Home on the Range was adopted in 1947 as the state song. And the last one is the Kansas State Amphibian which is the barred tiger salamander. This was designated in 1994. And again, they are found in Kansas. Let's see, large amphibian that can grow to 14 inches. They can be found in the wild from Southwestern Canada through the Western United States into Northern Mexico. So those are the state symbols. And the last thing I wanted to kind of go over is the attractions, things you can do in Kansas, because when I think of things to do in Kansas, it is slim, honestly. Like, I don't want to be one of those people that's like, oh, Kansas is so boring, blah, blah, blah. But honestly, like, I don't think that there's like that much to do in Kansas when I just think of things off the top of my head. And basically, when I tried to look up attractions in Kansas, it sort of proved my point. Like here are the examples of things to do in Kansas. Number one, roam free in the Flint Hills. This is from MidwestLiving.com, by the way, and I will link it below. It's just so you know that I'm not just trying to, you know, talk crap about Kansas and things to do there, but I did look up multiple sites and they all were kind of eh. And then I found this Midwest Living and it's, okay, roam free in the Flint Hills. Marvel at Wichita Museums. So there's like, uh, the old Cowtown Museum, which actually seems really fun. There's actors in costumes that it says they recapture Wichita's frontier. I always like those museums where there's kind of dress up actors that make it seem like you're in that time period. So that does seem fun. You can explore a miniature version of 1950s Kansas with more than 50 animations at Exploration Place. Uh, there's a Wichita Art Museum. So, you know, there's some museums. Make a splash in Kansas lakes. Okay, so you can go to Wilson State Park, uh, to Cheney Lake, Clinton Lake. So lots of kind of outdoor lakes there. You can salute Eisenhower in Ab Abilene. Um, Dwight D. Eisenhower has a presidential library. He also, there's a museum there and his boyhood home are both in Kansas. You can visit that. This says, rock your world in northern kansas there's um let's see niobrara chalk formation which is tucked in a valley between scott city and oakley today this mile-long treasure chest of a hundred foot tall rock faces and pillars is little jerusalem badlands state park so again some more outdoor things to do 
There is the Brown v. Board of Education National Historic Site in Topeka. There are the Botanic Gardens in Kansas, which look very nice. You can It says to catch a game or a sports event in Kansas City. There is part of Route 66 is in Kansas, so that's, uh, that's fun. And the other big thing they said is Kansas barbecue, which I have to agree with. We have had Kansas barbecue and it is like top, top notch. It is amazing barbecue. So I would say the main attraction, honestly, in my, in my mind is the Kansas barbecue. I've been to Kansas. We road tripped through and you know, it's, it's pretty flat and there's like some side attractions, but I haven't, you know, explored the Flint Hills or anything like that. But the Kansas barbecue absolutely slaps. <laughs> so I would highly recommend um, going there. So I will end the list there. There's a few more, but, um, oh, another one is this savor the Swedish heritage in Lindsberg, which is where a lot of the Swedish settlers came over. I had to include that one because I am extremely Swedish. <laughs> um, okay. That is all for the attractions and that is all I have for today's episode. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned a lot about Kansas. Again, Kansas, I feel like from first glance is I don't know, honestly, sometimes not that exciting, but the history really makes it come alive. And the fact that there was so much that happened, like so much conflict, so many interesting things, so many votes that they were kind of ahead of the times on. So I really feel like the history has made me appreciate Kansas just a lot more in general. So I hope you feel the same way. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I will see you all next week for another one. Bye everyone.